Hi, I'm Father Chris Alar of the Marian Fathers here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy, and welcome back to Living Divine Mercy here on EWTN. Many shows ago, we discussed suicide and how the church teaches that someone taking their own life doesn't mean that they automatically lose their soul. This week, we're going to take it a step further and show you how your prayers today can help someone who's died for any reason even years ago at the moment of their judgment. Some say suicide is a damnable sin because there is no time to repent, like the case of my own grandmother, who on Father's Day 1993 took her life after much suffering and illness. Not practicing my faith at the time, I didn't even remember praying for her at her own funeral. I was more worried about my family's reputation. Well, 10 years later, I found my Catholic faith. And during that process, I did a general confession. And it was there that I confessed my guilt of not praying for my grandmother when it could have made a difference. I told the priest it was now too late because she was judged and was in hell. He quickly responded, that is not church teaching. I said, my prayers today cannot make a difference for her because she's already been judged. She died 10 years ago. Maybe, at best, my prayers could remove a bit of her purgatory time if she even made it that far. The priest answered, Go home tonight and pray the chaplet of divine mercy for the salvation of her soul. Now, although I had never heard of this prayer, I was intrigued. He told me that it was powerful, and Jesus made many promises through it even saying that it can be someone's last hope of salvation. And if I pray it for someone else like my grandmother, the grace was the same as if she prayed it for herself. But I argued this wasn't possible because she took her life uh, with a gun and unfortunately died immediately, again, having no time to repent. However, the priest said that in a millisecond, God can perform miracles. So, even when one makes a horrendous decision, we have hope in God's mercy. Jesus told St. Faustina in diary number 1486 that he comes to the soul three times at the moment of death. And if the soul is willing, it still has the chance to accept his mercy and be saved. Although it seems to us the person is unresponsive and didn't repent. Perhaps that is why the Catechism, uh, paragraph 2283, states... We should not despair of the eternal salvation of persons who have taken their own lives. By ways known to him alone, God can provide the opportunity for solitary repentance. The priest told me that although my grandmother died 10 years earlier, God can take my prayers from today and apply them back to her at the moment of her judgment. This is because God is omniscient, all-knowing, and he is omnipotent, 
all-powerful. So, in other words, God knew back in 1993, at the moment of her death, that I would be there in 2003 praying for her salvation. And he will apply those graces to her before she is fully judged. He said, since my grandma was not going to church at the time, though, she would really need help, especially prayers. But since God is outside of time, meaning there is no past for God and there is no future for God, I know it sounds weird, everything is present to him at one moment. My grandma didn't take her life 10 years ago to God. It is all present to him at once, including my prayers. I was dumbfounded. He used the documented case of Padre Pio, who was being examined one time uh, by his doctor, who asked him why he was praying during his exam. Padre Pio answered, I'm praying for the conversion and happy death of my grandfather. The doctor responded, I knew your grandfather. He died over 20 years ago. I know, Padre Pio said, but God knew 20 years ago that I would be here tonight making this prayer and he will give him these graces. Now remember, we cannot force anyone to accept God. They have to accept him themselves, but our prayers will greatly help them to do so. That is the whole meaning of intercessory prayer. Now, we need to keep in mind that God can use our prayers, past, present, or future, to help, but we cannot change earthly history or get someone out of hell. God's will was done in those cases, but before someone's fate is sealed, no matter when we pray for them, and no matter how they died, God can give them the grace from our prayers to accept his mercy if they are willing. For example, in the collect, the prayer of the funeral mass for those who died by suicide, it says that we pray for their sins to be forgiven. But wait, this prayer of the funeral rite would be made days or even weeks after the person died. They were already judged. They were already forgiven or not. Again, it is all present to God at one moment. In fact, Father Robert Spitzer, host of the EWTN show Father Spitzer's Universe, explains it this way. He says, God can do anything he wants. He can bring a future event into the present, and he can bring the reality of a past event into the future. He does this at every Mass. Father Spitzer asserts that Jesus collapsed time at the Last Supper, specifically so that his suffering, death, and resurrection was already completed at the Last Supper. Christ was holding his resurrected body in his hands, even though the resurrection hadn't happened yet in physical time. This is amazing. And Spitzer says prior to that, time was collapsed in the womb of St. Anne, when the merits of Christ's salvific work were applied to Mary at her conception, although Christ 
had not yet been conceived in time himself. Again, amazing. And that is why Jesus told St. Faustina that it was her prayers that got him through his agony in the garden, although she made those prayers 1,900 years after his agony in the garden. Servant of God Dorothy Day said there is no time with God. She said all the prayers you will say in the future for a soul will count. At the moment of death, when the soul is released from the body, it is given a choice. Do you prefer darkness or light, evil or good? C.S. Lewis also weighed in on this incredible topic. In his book, Miracles, he states, To God, all the physical events and all the human acts are present in an eternal now. In this sense, God did not create the universe long ago, but creates it at this minute. At every minute to God, though not to me, I and the prayer I make back in 1945 were just as much present at the creation of the world as they are now and will be a million years from now. Again, amazing. In addressing this point, one of my favorite theologians and philosophers, Dr. Peter Kreeft, offers a powerful personal example. He said, prayer changes things, past as well as present, by touching eternity. When my daughter was misdiagnosed as having a fatal malignant brain tumor, I asked my friends to pray for her, and the prayers worked. The tumor, surprisingly, turned out to have been benign. A skeptical friend, whom I thanked for his prayers, said to me, You realize, of course, that our prayers couldn't have changed anything. The doctor said the tumor had been in her for years and was benign from the beginning. I replied, Your prayers did change things. God, eternally foreseeing all those prayers, decided to give her a benign tumor instead of a malignant one when he created her. Thank you. Again, <laughs> wow. And finally, great theologian Jimmy Aiken states, We can't objectively tell whether a person is in a state of grace at the point of death or not. So this knowledge is by its nature inaccessible to us. It thus makes sense whenever someone has died to ask God to have given that person the graces he needed for salvation at the moment of death. In other words, we are not asking to change the past because we don't have the knowledge of what actually happened. These scholars and theologians make a very compelling argument that it is possible to pray across time. Following the logic of their arguments, one can see why I offered prayers years later to assist my grandmother at the moment of her death. But again, remember, I am not praying to God that she never took her life. That fact cannot change. That event was allowed by God's permissive will, and for me to pray against that would be inappropriate. However, her eternal destiny is uncertain to me. In other words, I do not know the result of God's judgment upon her soul. So her salvation is something I can 
absolutely pray for, even in the future. And you can too. Amazing. Now, let's hear a conversation that I had with our good friend, Pat Boynton, who lost, unfortunately, her son, a great military man, to suicide. She stated that even in the midst of that darkness, we have hope in God's mercy. It's an honor to welcome Pat, Pat Boynton, thank and thank you for coming and joining Thanks. us today. Now, Pat, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and then especially about your son, Christopher. Okay. Um, I've been retired. I was a clinical social worker and I worked in um, hospice. So Chris, Chris, oh, what can I say about Chris? I can say everything about Chris. Um, he was an amazing child. Um, he was very active, very independent, um, and very artistic, very thoughtful, pensive, very uh, strong-willed. And um, at age 17, he announced to us that he wanted to join the Army. It was shortly after um, 9-1-1 that he decided, and that was uh, a factor for him. Sure. When he came home, his he found out his best friend died by suicide. Mm. And he said to me, Mom, I'm, I'm re-enlisting. Um, he became a team leader then Sergeant First Class. He went back to Iraq, and then he was uh, deployed a third time to Afghanistan. The year 2015 was the perfect storm. Okay. Um, Christopher was married, and um, he and his wife uh, were having their first child. And partway through her pregnancy, they found out that um, John Paul, which was his name, uh, was diagnosed with um, trisomy 13. And trisomy 13 is a fatal uh, genetic disorder in mm. infants. It's rare, um, but they knew he would not live. Mm. So John Paul was born on May 1st, 2015, mm. and we were there. I saw in my son um, during that time something that I actually admire greatly, and I only hope that I can have the kind of courage he had. He talked to his baby right through to heaven. He was hovered over John Paul, and he talked very quietly to him, and he just kept saying, don't worry, buddy, just take your time. It's going to be okay, and I will see you again. So he had already gone through a lot of tragedy. Now the loss of his friend, now you know, his, child, his, his child, his child. So we can already see the stress and the uh, heaviness waiting on Chris's heart, mm -hmm. which is what so many people today are having to deal with. So, yes, please continue. Thank you. Um, we hung around for a while. We stayed in Kansas with Chris and his family, um, and Christopher took. Paul and I out for a ride separately. It was like he wanted to spend time with both of us. This was, this was the last time we saw him. We would go for a ride and he would talk. And he said to me, I, can't, I just can't cry. I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't cry. And I just put my hand on his shoulder and I said, honey, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, sometimes that's a defense mechanism that we need to get through something really hard. Then he took Paul out for a ride, and, and while he was talking, he talked differently to Paul, to his dad, 
And he started talking about Afghanistan. Mm. And he said, you know, I learned one thing in Afghanistan. He said, I learned that nothing else really matters except love. Wow. Wow. So that's Christopher's legacy. We hang on to that. We hang on to that. And that's the most important message that Christ gave us. Mm -hmm. So maybe, you know, God in the midst of all that trial was teaching him the greatest, the greatest of all, um, understanding love. Uh, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. You know, uh, suicide is a terrible thing. Um, but I feel that God's mercy is always at work. And yeah. even in tragedies, we don't understand yeah. Um, I went to Mass in the morning on the 28th, and I had called Christopher that morning. He didn't answer. Well, a couple hours later, two soldiers strolled up the driveway, knocked on the door, and I opened the door, and they, and they said, Miss um, Boynton? I said, yes. And I said, what happened? And they said, is your husband home? And I said, yes, Paul was out in the yard. He came in, and we both stood in the kitchen and they announced to us that Christopher was found with a bullet wound to his head um, the night before. And then, of course, the nightmare begins. And the nightmare lasted for four and a half years for me. What was, what was at that time your, your feeling towards God? Anger, just rejection? Oh. or? Did you just block it out because you just wanted That's to just That's a really good it. question and an important question. That night that we found out, I got a call from my spiritual director, who was a Franciscan priest at the time, and he called me out of the blue to tell me something, and I had to tell him what happened. And he, and he gasped, and he said, Pat, hold on to the cross. And I said, no, I will not. I said, every time I do, somebody dies. And he didn't say anything. I think he knew that mm -hmm. my grief was talking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, but this four years, Pat, would, uh, would it be accurate to say was, was a living hell in this? I, I used those words. I would say to people, I'm walking through hell. I'm just walking through hell. Now, now uh, Pat, if I may, and, and you gave me permission before the show to share this, because I think it's very important when... Um, Brother Jason and I did our book on suicide. One of the most surprising statistics for me is those who have lost somebody to suicide become the highest risk for suicide themselves. Mm -hmm. And you gave us permission to share that you even struggled with yes, this. I did. This must have been uh, just a, a horribly uh, difficult time in your life. I, I was. I became um, acutely suicidal. I didn't have to be hospitalized, but um, because I had worked in the mental health field, I had no problem reaching out for help. I knew I needed good. it. That's good. That's good. And so I did reach out to professionals, and I went into therapy. How did you get through each day, and then what changed to be able to get you to the state where you are today, where you are now seeing things um, and, and getting through it. This is a, an inspirational story of mm -hmm. transformation, but what was it that began or that happened that changed for you? Mm -hmm. 
It started to change probably about four years, maybe, when Paul and I decided to volunteer for the Springfield Rescue Mission, which services um, the poor, the homeless, and the addicted. And we worked in the kitchen. I was still very, very depressed, but I felt that my therapist was pushing me to get out of the house. Sure. Because I, I, yeah. couldn't, I couldn't leave the house. So we did do that, and it started to break it up Good. a little bit for me. Uh, a friend had sent me um, a book about St. Therese, and I thought, you know, I've always loved St. Therese. She was my patron. I started making novenas to her. Ah. And I just made one after another, and she just kept sending me roses. Um, and then around Easter time, um, 2020, now, that was a bad year for people because that was COVID. And for me, the, I was com coming mm -hmm. too. I was like coming out of a mm -hmm. spiritual coma, if you will. Yeah. But um, you had gotten in touch with me and you said, Christopher's birthday's on the Easter vigil and I'm going to offer my mass for him. And um, I remember thinking, wow, Christopher's birthday's on the Easter vigil. This is really nice, you know? And then I had a dream about Christopher. Wow. So in my dream, he's smiling at me, wow. and he looked happy and so beautiful. And I remember saying, I kept saying, Chris, you're so beautiful. Oh, my gosh, you're so beautiful. I woke up, and I felt that um, God had allowed me. I had been praying to God, please let me see Chris yeah. the way you see him. Yeah. Because all I could see was tragedy, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and brokenness. Um, and I feel like God answered my prayer. That's amazing. So you felt there was a, a sign from heaven that he was okay? Yes. Wow. We do know that God's grace is there at the end. And so thank you for being Thank open you. to that grace Thank and you. for sharing that grace and to so many out, out there that um, have suffered in so many ways. Um, we hope that the story of Pat will help in even a tiny way um, to help get you through it. As we said, we know you can't get over it, but we know that um, with God's grace, we can get through it. Yes. Pat, Thank God you. bless you. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Do not fear. Fear is useless. What is needed is trust. And it's trust in this mercy. Now, in this encyclical, we find really the topic developed of this discussion, and that is the mission of mercy. The mission of Christ was to reveal the Father's mercy, make it present among us, and believable. Believable because he saw the miracles and the teachings. By example as well yeah. as his word. Yes. That's right. And so we see that Christ did many things to announce this. He proclaimed it. For example, in Mark, beginning of the first proclamation, he says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. Now you can, I like to translate it into terms of trust and mercy, which is the heart of the gospel. And what we say, the time is at hand. What time for what? For God's mercy. The kingdom of God is at hand, which means what? Mercy is present. That's the kingdom. Mercy of God present among us. And then he said, repent. Well, that means turn to his mercy for forgiveness. And then it says, believe the gospel. Well, that's trust. And so the whole of the proclamation of Jesus is trust and mercy. But then he 
practiced mercy by the healing and the delivering, and, and then certainly he taught mercy. He gave us then also a mandate of mercy, namely, well, I'm not sure how to say it now because you corrected Become. me once on this. It's Become it, merciful. Well, you know, we hear the word be merciful as your father, but you say what? The verb is become merciful. And so we still have hope because this There's is such a way for us to grow in it. There's an unending growth because it's what we're growing towards is the infinite merciful love of the Father, and we are to become as merciful as the Father. O blessed host, our only hope in the midst of adversities and floods of despair. O blessed host, I trust in you. When storms toss my heart about and my fearful spirit tends to despair. O blessed host, I trust in you. When everything conspires against me and black despair creeps into my soul. The bowels of God's mercy are opened for us through the life of Jesus stretched on the cross. O sinner, you must not doubt or despair but trust in mercy, for you also can become holy. Write this for the benefit of distressed souls. When a soul sees and realizes the gravity of its sins, when the whole abyss of the misery into which it immersed itself is displayed before its eyes, let it not despair, but with trust let it throw itself into the arms of my mercy as a child into the arms of its beloved mother. Well, thank you again, everybody, for joining us. And if you'd like to learn more about this fascinating topic, pick up a copy of the book I wrote with Father Jason Lewis called After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, where we explain this in detail. And it's not just about suicide, but any kind of suffering or loss. I promise it will help, and the information is there on your screen. So until next week, when we talk about Did Christ Require a Church? And that'll be beginning our third season. And until then, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.